Welcome to Pitch Deck, the podcast. I'm Sarah, and this podcast is brought to you by Juno. Pitch Deck deep dives into the founders' ideas from day one. Focusing on, on them as people, we explore the individuals and their stories behind the ideas and their pitch deck, and find out why they are the best people to be pushing their ideas forward into the world. Because investors invest in people before investing in their ideas. This week, we're exploring the story of Mirza, a femtech meets fintech on a mission to close the gender pay gap. Mirza is co-founded by a female strong team of Saran and Mel. Saran graduated with a degree in gender studies from Harvard and had expected to go into academia and non-profit, but what started as a short skills pursuit in the private sector turned into a passion for leadership, management and operations. Saran built the driver support organization for Uber in New York and oversaw the support business for the US Northeast before moving to London for a degree in social business and entrepreneurship at LSE. With Mirza, she's gone full circle and looks forward to bringing together her passions, women's empowerment, structural change, and building a company of the future. After Mel graduated from UVA, she began her career focused on building fast growth companies, from launching and scaling sales territories in Europe, to making college education more accessible, to managing a luxury real estate portfolio, Mel fell in love with the process of building a concept from the ground up. A lifelong ideator, Mel had launched side hustles and passion projects while working, but it was during her time at London Business School that she realised she wanted to go all in on her own business. Mirza is her second company and is the manifestation of her passion for equitable access for all women and the desire to operate in the social impact space. Let's meet Mel and Saran. I'm so happy to welcome to the show Mel and Saran from Mirza. How are you both doing today? So good. So happy to actually be part of this, to be here with you today. Great. Um, this is turning my Monday around to be able to do this. So, uh, so excited to be here. I'm so glad to have you on. So to get started, it would be good to hear in your own words what Mirza is up to at the moment and uh, what you're currently raising capital for. Great. So Mirza is a company on a mission and ours is the mission to close the gender pay gap. The lifetime financial impact of stepping away from the workforce isn't something that's transparent to parents ahead of having to make that decision. No one should have to make lifetime career choices in the first few months of having a baby. So what we've done is create an online tool that enables soon-to-be parents to plan for those various financial and lifestyle scenarios, then help them make informed decisions that they can then execute, again, with our support. So Mirza uses our proprietary algorithm to project out soon-to-be parents' financials based on your salary, childcare costs, to understand their time allocation after their child is born, and to gamify household chores for both parents. The whole crux of this is that no one should have to suffer this motherhood penalty, and this comes with starting family, and we want to fix that. So how did you first realize that this was a problem? What did you notice in day-to-day life to want to, you know, try and tackle this? Oh boy. Well, it starts with just being <laughs> being women as for Melanie and our friends who are like us and um very 
career-driven individuals, knowing that there's this overall anxiety that we face when thinking about starting a family. So at some level, we know that there's an impact and this whole myth of having it all is just that, it's a myth. And starting a family is actually having two full-time jobs, but we don't know this until we looked at the data. And that's really how we started approaching this problem. We started looking at all of the research on the gender pay gap and how 80% of that is the motherhood penalty and how so many women wind up falling out of the workforce because we don't fully understand ahead of time how having a family is a full-time job. So it's taken a lot of time and um, really unpacking this very complicated ecosystem with childcare costs and so on. But that's this is the approach that we're taking now to really empower individuals and help them make better informed decisions. So in terms of the approach that you've decided to take based on the research that you've been looking at, why why this approach? I think it's a, it's a great question. And there's a lot of data around what causes the gender pay gap and specifically the motherhood penalty. So we know what's happening. We know that it's a lack of, that childcare is super expensive, that workplaces are not flexible, that it's usually just maternity leave and not parental leave. Um, and there's, you know, there's definitely also research on to what policy changes can companies can implement to kind of help combat those things. Um, but a lot of the other things that have been tried just aren't working. So, um, you know, having more female managers isn't closing the gender pay gap, including salary bans when you apply to jobs, also not closing the gender pay gap. And there's very, very little research um, on an individual level of what can actually influence this, this change. And there's two things that work. There's those structural kind of barriers that we've talked about, but there's also this massive cultural kind of idea that men are breadwinners, women breadwinners, women are caretakers, and that has just permeated for so long. So what we think we where we think we can be the most powerful is by instituting that cultural shift from the bottom up, really kind of making individual households more evenly distributed in terms of caregiving and, and work around the house. And then by capturing the inflection points across families who work at different companies where policies may be different, we can understand exactly when women are dropping out of the workforce, what trigger points make men shift to having you know, more responsibility. And we think that that's where we can really leverage data in terms of influencing policy change on a state or federal level. There's a really compelling study from, um, from 2019, I believe, that looks at um, six or seven different countries, the US and the UK, Germany, Sweden, all included. And it looks at how policies that can be similar or the same kinds of policies still have these very different effects on the motherhood penalty. And that runs into ultimately um, cultural attitudes. So how we think about what is women's work, caretaking, gender roles, that affects the uptake of policies and then how time in the home, which is this whole piece of gamifying your household tasks um, really comes in, that is that is the quote unquote culture and what we're trying to shift 
if we just have these top-down policies from governments, that alone doesn't do it. And we've seen these more top-down at a smaller scale policies from employers also not entirely change things, even for their own employee base. So this is what we're trying to do. And so translating your learnings and research into a product, what are the key features and the general user experience of your MVP? Um, so the, the first component of that is a financial planning calculator. So you can input in a couple of different things, such as your salary, your partner's salary, your genders, your age, um, where, you're, where you're located. And then you can play around and toggle between decisions such as how much time off you're going to take when you go on parental leave, so paid or unpaid. Um, when you return to work, are you returning to work part-time versus full-time? And then you can also see the cost of childcare based on nanny daycare in your area. Um, you can factor in some fertility treatments if needed. And then understand how all of those different decision points impact your long-term earnings. So we're really helping you visualize this motherhood penalty based on those decisions, um, which is can be a little bit <laughs> uh, shocking or grim, but then we kind of give you other tools to help combat those things and the information you need to understand why and how that penalty is happening and what you can do to mitigate it at home. So that's the major component of the MVP. And then we also have a section that we're calling commitments right now that is a, a gamified version of household chores between you and your partner. So a lot of the research um, shows that, you know, women do the majority of unpaid work around the house, whether that's simple, like, you know, actual chores or caretaking. So we've created a way for you and your partner to have a more equitable split um, and then have a reward system as well so that you can really get that to be more of like a team dynamic and making sure that your family unit is running as best as it can. It's really refreshing to hear that this area is gaining some attention and moving forward and gaining traction because I feel like it's something we've needed for many years and it's about time. I'm curious to know about the competitor landscape. Who else is looking at this? What are they doing? What are they doing differently? How are you working together? Have you spoken to any of them? So we see the landscape more along the spectrum with fintech on one end and then femtech um, or femtech, family tech or female tech on the other. So Elvest is, is an incredible company in, in this landscape. Um, they are focused on investing for women and closing that investment gap. Uh, Milo is someone that's in the FamTech space, and they provide a virtual assistant for your family, and provide this shared calendar across your across different family groups. Um, and then Kinside is this childcare benefits provider for working parents. So this, this is a whole ecosystem of companies that are working on creating better opportunities for families um, and our finances. But we, we think of ourselves as category defining because what we're doing is bridging that fintech and femtech, fin, uh, femtech sphere, and we're bridging work and home 
what we're doing is putting our limited time, um, which is the common denominator of all of this, into one single unit of measure. And we're helping you achieve that kind of uh, work and home, work-life harmony. So I will mention, though, that we do see this competitive space as having the potential to create collaboration. Um, This is a huge mission to close the gender pay gap, and we need more people on this mission. There's so much potential for everyone in, in this landscape to be collaborators, and that's how I would prefer to think of it and, and to see it. There's, this isn't a competitive landscape, it's a collaborative landscape. I love the idea of collaborating. And I think it's so powerful in the social and environmental space that we all come together and, you know, tackle these problems together rather than competitively. Talking of collaborating, how did you all meet? How did you all get together? And, you know, where did this start? And where did the journey start for you? Why why this problem for you? Um, I guess going way back, uh, Saran and I met because Saran's husband was co-best men at a wedding with one of my uh, friends from business school. And we were actually both uh, last June. So 2019 had both been exploring fitness concepts. <laughs> so something completely different had been looking, I was looking into a yoga concept. Saran was looking into um, something for like older women and Adam, her husband was like, Oh, you guys should meet and talk about these things. And we kind of kept up with like a monthly coffee. Um, so just, you know, I think Saran, you went back to the States for a bit uh, for the summer. But then when you got back, we were just meeting every once in a while to have catch ups. And then January of this year, which feels like five years ago at this point, um, but January of this year, I had been doing all this research into menopause um, and kind of how women don't really know anything about their bodies. And Saran and I kind of sat down and and we, I think I still have the the paper that we were writing everything down on. And we were just kind of came up with this thought about like, oh my God, we don't think about our bodies and our careers on the same track. There's so, there's so much opportunity. That's so good to hear. And it's, it sounds like um, things have been moving at 100 miles an hour for you this year. So what roles do you play? And what roles do you play particularly when it comes to decision making? Do you have any examples of a tough decision you've had to make so far? Um, I'm like the no person and Saran and Rob are the like the dreamers and they're like the idea people and they have you know these glorious visions of everything we can do and I'm like stop <laughs> we can do that but one at a, one day at a time um, I think I'm trying to think of like so I get every I'll wake up to like 20 messages from Saran on WhatsApp being like oh my god I was thinking about this and what if we like did this thing and then that and then this and then that and then like Oh, what was it? We wanted to create a rapid kind of um, crowdsourcing nanny care system during COVID. And Saran was like, it would be a great like thing. We could just build it really quickly. It wouldn't be that expensive. We could have all these going. And like, I just was like, Saran, no. <laughs> I just remember being like, I'm really sorry, but no. <laughs> it was just like one of those situations where it would have been a phenomenal, it is a phenomenal idea and it would have made a huge difference for a lot of people, but it just isn't, it's like trying to kind of keep us going forward and not laterally I think is how I see what I do um, <laughs> in some of our group conversations <laughs> but... 
I like that so much more moving forward, not laterally than no person, because you're not a no person. <laughs> you're keeping us focused. <laughs> and that is the perfect description of we'll just run at something at a hundred miles an hour. And then if Mel is not there to say, Hey, maybe uh, don't, go on that route because that route moves us away from our general direction, we would have some issues. Um, <laughs> I think this is a, a really helpful partnership in that sense. It sounds like you have a really lovely and productive balance between the two of you, which is great for a founding team. So you're raising around right now. Can we talk a little bit around how you intend to spend that capital? What are your short-term, medium and long-term priorities with those with that additional financing? We're currently raising for three key components that will allow us to achieve the vision and to scale the vision. So the first is very simply, we have our MVP today and we have a full vision that isn't included in the MVP itself um, that we're testing through the MVP of this family OS, the family operating system. And we're raising to be able to finish that app itself. We see so much appetite and need for it, and we want to be able to build that to support people. The second of those components is hiring. So people costs are going to be the biggest cost in, in this business. And what we want to hire for is to really grow the team. So we currently have some incredible interns and freelancers whom we'd love to hire full time. We have a data scientist who's incredible. We have a two folks on marketing, one focused on graphic design and the other on content, but and together they do wonders part-time um, for our for our marketing. So we would love to bring on these these three roles and those are roles that we very much need. Um, and then that covers our marketing team for growth and the development of our machine learning and our algorithm. That final hire we'd, we, who's really important to us is a fully dedicated engineer for our full app. So we can launch and scale with full agility and flexibility. That's actually the only person we don't have currently working with us in some capacity and will need to spend some time to find. Um, that th final third bucket of spend in these three key components is the dollars and cents we'll put behind actual marketing to reach, uh, to reach customers. So we ourselves, um, Mel and me, are very cognizant that our in our B2B2C model, we can rely on our networks and our own personal sales ability to make those initial sales. And there's a we're confident in the network effect from that because we can effectively brand ourselves as how companies can be um, supportive to women and the way that um, companies will be able to 
demonstrate their support for female employees. There's a reason 90% of employees do not use their company's chosen well-being benefits. Well-being means different things to different people, and it's impossible to provide something that makes everyone happy. It's especially important now that work has become remote for companies to get their employee well-being initiatives right. If you're looking to improve employee well-being at your company, then you need to speak to Juno. They take the pain out of employee well-being with a complete solution that helps businesses save and keeps employees happy. The reason Juno works so well is that it's the first employee well-being platform designed from the ground up with the modern professional in mind. Juno connects staff directly with excellent wellness providers and lets them define what wellness means to them. They're available throughout the UK and in 18 countries worldwide. With Juno Points, it's easy to book amazing wellness and development experiences from your desk or mobile phone. Whether you need a cleaner, a therapist, a nanny or a Pilates teacher, they're all tailored to your schedule and your needs. Companies large and small see over 90% adoption and save up to 64% on wellbeing and development spend using Juno. So what are you waiting for? Companies like Heights, Koto, Connect Ventures and Buttermilk trust Juno with their employee wellbeing. Reshape your employee wellbeing program today with Juno. Go to www.withjuno.com to find out more. And what's better, if you sign up using the code PITCHPOD, you can receive 10% off your first three months. So when you introduced Mirza, you described it as a femtech. How do you introduce men to the platform and get the couple working together to get the most out of the platform that you've created? Yeah, so I think that um, that's something that's been at the forefront of our minds for the entire time. Um, Originally, we thought about making this an app purely for women and then got some feedback that it was a horrible idea because we can't keep putting the onus on women to change the things that are kind of out of their control. So the best way that we can do that is to include men into the conversation. And we've just decided to go as gender, gender neutral as possible to kind of eliminate any preconceived notions of who should be doing what role. So we actually just use the terms childbearing and non-childbearing partner. Um, and then I think the gamification of the the household chores and the fact that you you have to have your partner on the tool as well in order to interact and make sure that you both are updating accordingly and working on it um, should hopefully get more like kind of everyone on the app and not just moms. Um, I think that it's, it's an interesting, I mean, I think that the initial uptake will probably realistically be more skewed towards women, but hopefully um, with a lot of the messaging that we do, the branding and marketing, kind of this social lobbying that we want to bring into play, we can make it as gender neutral as possible and as equitable as possible. What we also find that's really found really interesting in our user research was that um in a lot of the heterosexual couples we interviewed, the men wound up, well, in pretty progressive heterosexual millennial couples, men still wound up defaulting to that gender norm of, oh, I manage the finances. And we think that as a result of that, we have a really good entryway into men as well um, into the male market as well through this financial projections element, because this is ultimately 
how can you best afford and how can you best invest in your futures as, as a family, as a unit together? We have this family operating system in, the, in our minds that we help you from the moment uh, we say ba- from the moment baby crosses your mind to better prepare for the future. And we can then see the potential as parents, as soon to be parents become parents to have this top layer that connects your your finances, your bank accounts, your shared calendars and all of these different Google calendars um, into one place that integrates with your your work life and your family life. So if your childcare provider is able to see when mom is in a meeting and I'm gonna go to dad for this thing, it starts to disrupt those gender norms of schools always calling mom and doctors always calling mom. And um, this makes this, all the family logistics become seamless. So that's what we we want to do on the um, on the vision end for the the product itself, the app itself. It's this concept of bringing in harmony to your work and your personal life, and that that's really it. It's harmony. Thank you for that. And a lot of what we've spoken about is around um, a two, you know, a couple. Um, working together what happens with single parent families how have you adapted the product for this you know I think I like I we love I love thinking about single parent families about co-parenting dynamics and just the fact that families look so different than just this traditional kind of nuclear family concept that we have in the state or kind of in the states and the UK um, but for a single parent I mean a single parent can still put their salary information and understand how those decisions will affect them and how expenses will look like what expenses will look like um, and start planning accordingly, depending on how far out they are from, from having a child. Um, but down the line, I think it's that that family operating system, you can define your family. And so you can choose who is part of that. Is it your parents? Is it, is it friends, like sisters, brothers, um, siblings who kind of are all part of raising your child that kind of, it takes the village concept. So it's about facilitating that communication across whatever your family looks like. You know, um, a third of the families in a third of the households in the States are single parent households. And the majority of those are headed by women. I was raised by a single mother. This is very deeply personal and very real. And being able to, what part of what we do is help you visualize where you need to build in levels of support for, for childcare, for raising your family. And that visualization, like Mel said, it's you're defining who to include in, in this family. So building in the levels of support that you need from um, extended family, from your neighbors, from friends, from people you're close to, um, to if you have access to being able to pay for a, a babysitter at different times, we want to help you be able to actually think through that and set up those structures for success that are really necessary for, 
for single parents. Um, they're really necessary for all parents, but I can definitely think back on the times that, um, not sure if I'm allowed to say this, if this is legally legally okay, but I remember at times as a kid that you're not supposed to be home alone at this age, but I had to be because in a single parent household, that was just, if my mom had to stay at work, what else, what are you going to do? But we can help you avoid those things and those kinds of having to make those decisions of, oh, I have a last minute meeting and um, I need to take this kind of, what is the risk? Is my eight-year-old going to be okay? Um, that's the kind of stuff that we can help prepare single parents for and help them better, well, better manage and better avoid. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to not throw my mom under the bus because I was fine, I swear. <laughs> it's amazing how many single parents cope, both male and female, and how co-parenting works, you know, because when the children are with one or the other at that time they are a single parent um just giving the other parent a bit of a break what have you done in terms of customizing the product you know how customizable are the features can they select what they turn on and off um what have you done around this even just in the state right now it's entirely customized to you based on your salary your earnings your occupation um this financial planning element is fully based on where you are and the decisions that you choose to make. So those various trigger points that Mel was talking about with um, part-time or full-time work and taking parental leave, whether in a heterosexual couple, the father takes parental leave and the lovely boosts that studies have shown that that has for for women, um, that stuff, that's all stuff that you'll play around with and get to see how that can impact long-term financial health. That's really insightful. Thank you. And in terms of your research, you mentioned you've been um, primarily focusing on the US. What are your plans to you know, broaden out to other markets? Is the UK your secondary market? And also, um, it'd be great if you could discuss the cultural differences between the different regions. Um, I think it, Saran mentioned this earlier, but one of the reasons why we, we started in the U.S. is that there's just no social support. So the U.S. is the only industrialized country that doesn't have a mandated maternity leave, uh, let alone parental leave. So uh, many, many families in the U.S. have to take unpaid uh, unpaid time off of work when they have a child. Um, whereas in the U.K., you have so many supports like the universal tax credit. You have um, subsidized childcare from 15 to 30 hours a week, depending on how old your kid is. You have mandated parental leave of six months, you know, for, for the parent, for both, for the couple. So it's just the whole, the culture around um, how we think about taking time off, how we think about uh, FaceTime in an office and even just the work life balance in the States, I think is a lot more drastic than it would be in the UK. Um, the, 
the major difference for us is our, in our algorithm and that when we launch in the UK, we want to factor in the, that social support. So it's actually a little bit cleaner to build in the US because there's just not as many things that help you out. Um, so I, I think that when we, when we start going towards new markets, it's just understanding that there are a lot of different things that come into play for us to give you that, that greater precision and customization for you. And so what's, what supports do we need to build in? what tax rates, what kind of things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the, the work-life balance and kind of this, the U.S. has just refused to support women and families for so long. Um, and we, and it's just one of those things that it, there's so much pressure put on women and an expectation that you, you know, women are working, are staying, are spending as much time with their kids as they were in the 60s, but now working 40 plus hours a week in the, in the US. So you're just having these unrealistic expectations of what it means for people to be to be both. And um, at least in, you know, slightly more progressive kind of socially leaning countries, you have the supports that, that show that they understand that that's not a possibility. So that's the biggest cultural difference that I would point out. And we think that from this, there there is no country that has successfully closed its pay gap, even in, so let's, let's take the UK as an example. There's parental leave, but uptake among men is very low and there is still very much this, this gap. And we think that actually in the UK, we have a very strong, this is our secondary market. um, And we have a very strong gov tech play that we can build in how parents can navigate all of the levels of subsidy the UK government has for childcare at different ages. It's, it is a nightmare to Google right now and to do all of that research. But if you have one tool that does this for you um, and then helps you take all of that to facilitate your time at home, it's really, really useful for folks. Um, And the UK is a country that has even this new gender pay gap reporting requirement, but that's a requirement for that relies on shaming companies essentially for them to change their change their policies. But that again doesn't change the fact that your time at home and uptake of that pol- of those paternity leave policies and so on, that all comes into play. Um, in Sweden and in Iceland, there are still gaps, countries with incredible policies, but there's still some way to go. And those final, um, what's going to get Iceland, for example, over the finish line is stuff like the, is so deeply cultural. And that's where we come in with helping you gamify your household tasks and helping you better understand the long-term impact of your um, your short, what seems like short-term decisions. That's really interesting about Iceland and yeah, and even some of the Scandinavian countries that really do promote themselves as very balanced. Um, in terms of educational resources, do you have these available as part of the platform or how do you um, educate your parents that are using the the app so in terms of education on the 
we'll, on the pay gap, um, the motherhood penalty, we have um, the functionality that you, as you're playing around with this tool, you can see, we define some things for you so you can understand how a, this is all calculated, where everything's coming from. So there are portions in there that are lovely little uh, nuggets of um, taking a leave, a month's leave of paternity increases the, um, in a heterosexual couple, increases the woman's earning 7%. Um, nice little teachable moments that are also fun. Um, but then also what's really cool is that we in our full app, want to be able to build in some interesting distributions. And those are some fun moments of joy for you too. Well, maybe joy for me. Uh, so let's say you're able to input in the costs of childcare that you want to spend. You can then see where that falls along where your estimate and where you want your budget falls within dis the distribution in your geography for people in your similar demographic. And that's all really interesting. And those are also moments that we provide you with education in terms of information, but then can pull you into full education with, hey, here's a little nugget of um, information on how you can utilize different childcare resources to be able to form the coverage that you need. So I'm going to move on now to your total addressable market. How are you currently calculating this? And what do you foresee in the future to increase your market share? We have a massive market within the US alone. So while we have plans to be global and we think this is a need everywhere, we've built our uh, total addressable market and so on based on the US. And for us, that TAM is the 18 million US residents in the age range from 20 to four, 25 to 40. And that's because that's the age range for whom um, folks, families, and careers are really intertwined and very top of mind. Uh, segmenting further, 17 million U.S. residents want to have or already have children. And um, if we then drill in even further down to the uh, service obtainable market, we can then focus on this piece of where we bring in the commitments and the gamification of your household chores. We're, we're looking then at the 8 million dual income households within this uh, larger market. So building off this 8 million, um, the 8 million households, we're going to operate with a dual D to C and B to B to C model. So we're, we're looking at currently a $10 a month uh, membership fee, which to us translates then to this potential um, 960 million market size. I like the way you've calculated that. It makes a lot of sense. So when you think about your investors and who you would like to work with, what are the three key attributes that you would like to see in your investors? So a big one is um, believing in, well, we want an investor that believes in this mission, that it's important. Um, 
we hope this investor is aligned with us in that thinking just because we're mission driven doesn't mean we can't make money. I think we have a model that really does marry positive impact with financial upside. Um, So really believing in what we're trying to do, that's that really big one. Um, And then expertise and experience is is the other in um, the second in thinking. We're really looking for investors who have basically are the kinds of people you can have a have a brainstorming session with. Hey, we were working through this problem and really wanted some feedback. It doesn't mean necessarily we're looking for investors who have done this exact thing, built a B two B two C and D two C company that um, that wants to change the world. But we're we're looking for people who have a level of relevant experience and love just and are open to talking through ideas and can can are willing to support us in that way. Um, I, I think those are really the the top two things. Yeah, I would maybe add that we really enjoy when teams are diverse and inclusive. So making sure that the people that we're working with are representative of the populations that we're trying to address and support as well. Um, I think so often you still see like just a lot of white men on on investing teams. And we really, we get so excited when we see like women and people of color who are also on those teams. And I think that that's something that we've really tried to highlight as well. But it's great that you are trying to select investors that do represent the population you're trying to serve. Um, in terms of investors trying to get hold of you, how would they best reach you? And if customers want to hear more about, you know, potential customers want to hear more about the product and potentially being part of your beats testing, how do they get hold of you? Mm-hmm. Well, for investors, my my email is always open and it's Saran and my first name, S-I-R-A-N at heymirza.com. And I would love to chat. And for potential customers, we have a lovely monthly newsletter that we would love if you would sign up for. Um, it's at our website, heymirza.com. And that's also, our website is also where folks can sign up to be a part of our beta testing crew. Um, And then we are on all of the socials in a slightly funny Mirza says, hey. And then another uh, way you can follow us socially is we are releasing um, our podcast that's called Work Hard, Parent Hard. And our first season is How to Dad. And we're talking to a lot of different incredible people about fatherhood and what it means to be a modern father. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really great hearing about what you're working on and it's it's just inspiring all the research that you've put into this. And I think you're building something that's gonna have such a great social impact um, initially in the US and I can't wait to see it come over into the UK as well. So thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having us, Sarah. And thank you for starting this podcast. It's such a beautiful way of increasing access to to this very necessary information, um, increasing access to investors for founders and helping make this funding cycle that can be so, so long and um, hard to navigate just a little bit easier and more pleasant. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been super fun. 
It's been really wonderful hearing from the team at Mirza and hearing about how they've built their product based on extensive research and reading to ensure what they are creating is scientifically supported. I'm looking forward to watching them on their journey to closing the gender pay gap. If you'd like to invest in Mirza, please do reach out to Saran on the email address she provided. Next week, I'm speaking with Dr. Barbara Levy and Stevie Klein from Ocean Women's Health an innovative diagnostic and digital health company exclusively committed to advancing the health of women and championing awareness of their healthcare issues. I look forward to seeing you there.